0: Well, it is great to be in California. Last week, I was at a wedding for my brother just under me, who's uh, has four children. Uh, and this was the first one to get married. And so it was just one of those occasions where I just felt like, well, I don't want to miss this one. So I'm going to go. And we had a great time. And it was snowing when he dropped me off at the airport. So. Um, It made me really glad to be back in California, step out into shorts weather. Great to see you all here tonight. I'm aware that we have a different clientele today. So many of you are here that couldn't come on Saturday nights and so we're glad to see you. There may be a few that are now watching from home that you weren't able to come on Sunday. I don't know how this all works out. We're just trying to do our best to provide the best possible time for you all, but for all of you that are there at home, we just wanna say how much we love you, how much we thank God for you and care for you and hope that you're able to just enter into the joy of what we're experiencing here and you can experience it there because it's the same Holy Spirit, right? And so thank you for being a part of this. If you're online, if you're a guest with us online, thank you for being here, if you're a guest here today. If you're in the South 40, no, wait a minute, that would be the West 40, okay? Thanks for being out there and for for coming to be with us today. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 23. We are now, in one sense physically, we are in the middle of the book. (laughs) We are almost right in the center of the book and working through it. This is not an easy book. This is a, a challenging book. Jeremiah is living in a very challenging time and he is Talking to very challenging circumstances and he is dealing with it very forthrightly. So let's let's read this I'm not going to read the whole chapter. So follow along. I'm going to be Skipping a little bit here and there and so I'll try to keep you posted on where I'm at uh, So that I didn't spend the whole time reading but let's read together. Jeremiah 23 whoa to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and bring them back to their fold, and they shall multiply Be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them. And they shall fear no more nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely. He shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will de- dwell securely and this is the name by which he will be called the lord is our righteousness concerning the prophets my heart is broken and all my bones shake verse 10 for the lord for the land is full of adulterers because of the curse the land mourns verse 11 both prophet and priest are ungodly even in my house i have found their evil declares the lord verse 13 In the prophets of Samaria I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people astray. But the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and they walk in lies. They strengthen the hand of evildoers so that no one turns from evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who follows stubbornly, follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come to you. Verse 19. The storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth. A whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. Verse 21. I did not send the prophets. And yet they ran. I did not speak to them. And yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel. Then they would have proclaimed my words. To the people. And they would have turned away from their evil way. Verse 29. Is not. My word, like a fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues to declare, declares the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness." When I did not send them or charge them, so they do not profit this people at all. And finally, verse 39. Therefore, behold, I will surely lift you up and cast you away from my presence. You and the city that I gave to your fathers. And I will bring upon you everlasting reproach and perpetual shame, which shall not be forgotten. Let's pray. Lord. These are strong words. Jeremiah was living in a very challenging time. Your people were being led astray. They were willingly listening to ungodly people. Lord, I pray today that we would be a people who will listen to you, who will respond to you, who will humbly seek your face. Be glorified as we listen today to your word. Help me as your servant to share it in a way that's helpful and encouraging. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could summarize in a sentence what I'm going to say, it's not going to be apparent until I get done with this message. But this is what I would say. Don't put any hope or trust in the wisdom of this world. Surrender to King Jesus, who is God's final word and your great shepherd." Get a little background, just to bring us back into where we're at now in this situation. They've had a a series of good kings uh, in the the, the, the southern tribes of Judah, Hezekiah being the last one who was a, a, a really good king, Davidic style king, and he did much good, and then following him was Manasseh, his son, who was the absolute worst king. In fact, he reigned 52 years. I often wondered, why, Lord, would you leave a guy in there for 52 years who was doing so much wickedness and so much evil? And he was the cause of this final great judgment that's coming on the people. His son, Josiah, was actually also a good king. But God, because of Manasseh, had already determined to destroy this people. And so basically, he took Josiah out of the way by prompting him to go attack the king of Egypt and was killed. In battle, and it's interesting that during Josiah's reign is when Jeremiah began to prophesy. He could, uh, he, he as he died, Josiah died in battle that same year. The Babylonian armies defeated Assyria, and they came in to be the world power. And then, following that, was three kings very quickly, who basically just led them down this path. And this is the season, the time we're talking about. Now picture for me this walled city of Jerusalem. And outside the walls of this city are the the current world power of the day has brought their armies and they have surrounded the city. And this is the most hopeless situation you can imagine. And in this situation, the prophets are saying things like, it is well and no harm will come to us. And they're prophesying peace and safety. And Jeremiah, on the other hand, is telling them just the opposite. No, here's the word of the Lord. You need to leave this city and, and surrender to the king that's outside the walls if you want to have any hope of saving your life. A rather strange thing to be telling the people. It's no wonder they had a hard time believing what Jeremiah was saying, but I want to take this passage and look at three things now. First of all, I want us to look at the people that were involved. Secondly, the problem that we're facing, and finally, the provision that God brings. So let's look at the people. First of all, we have these, what he calls shepherds. These are the secular leaders and the religious leaders uh, in this day. The shepherds, these are the king and his associates, then there's also the priests and the prophets and the teachers, both civil and religious leaders. They failed the, God's people by not speaking truthfully to them, not feeding them, as he says here. Primarily, he's talking when he talks about the princes. He's not talking about uh, Joseph, I mean, uh, Zedekiah's uh, sons here. He's not talking about them. he's talking about officials that are around him to lead. He's given them the day-to-day carrying out of what he said. and we find in chapter 38 verse 5 that King Zedekiah was not able to control them or keep them where he wanted and getting and from them getting what they wanted. they were corrupt and he could do nothing. Judah's leaders have scattered the people. Real shepherds keep people gathered, the sheep gathered for protection. these shepherds He says are scattering them. God says they failed to attend to the sheep. God says for that I will attend to you. Scary words. Now the flock, we have another group of people here, that's the flock, the sheep. The sheep are being ignored and scattered, not just physically because they're in the city of Jerusalem, but their hearts are being scattered from the Lord. Their minds are being confused with what the prophets are saying. They're lost in that sense of the word, uncared for, he says, and ultimately they will be destroyed. The sheep are responsible as well. They're willingly listening to all these prophets and what they're saying. They're choosing to ignore Jeremiah, reject God's word. They're they're seeker-sensitive people. They, They want words that tickle their ears, that feel good and make them feel good. They are, in a sense, accepting a gospel that is false, weak, and depleted. They are unhealthy sheep. Unhealthy sheep reproduce unhealthy sheep. Unhealthy sheep are failing to accomplish what God called them to do by giving their lives for the health and well-being for others. They were basically, at this point, useless sheep. So. Those are the people. Now let's look at the problem that we have here. And Jeremiah takes a long section of this to deal with this. The prophets, they are misrepresenting themselves. They're doing two things. They're misrepresenting themselves and they're misrepresenting God. These are the shepherds. Instead of being examples of devoted lives, these men are morally bankrupt. Adulterers, he calls them, condoning all kinds of sexual sin, including homosexuality. He draws out that they're like Sodom and Gomorrah. This, these are things that are unheard of in God's house. But he says in verse 11, they've done this in my very house. Incredible. These prophets have leading them down, as he says in verse 12, slippery paths down blindly into the darkness. Prophets from Jerusalem are made to look worse than the apostate uh, the prophets of the northern tribes. The northern tribes of Israel had split off much earlier and uh, under Jeroboam. And they made no bones about the fact that they worshipped other gods. They worshipped Baal. They worshipped the calves. They made no bones about that. They were very clear about that. And they're leading the people that way. And it was wrong. And he says, basically, they were unsavory. But he says about these prophets, he said, they are horrible. So The northern prophets, they're bad. They're unsavory. But these southern prophets, why? Does he call them horrible? He calls them horrible because they proclaim to be serving the the real God. They proclaim to be serving the real God, bringing God's words. And they are lying and misrepresenting themselves. And they're misrepresenting God. They were worse, living immoral lives. Uh, philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre once said, my morality dictates my theology. Well, this is just the perfect example of people who just decide they want to live a certain way, and so they develop a theology that allows them to do whatever they want, a theology that supports their moral depravity. So they misrepresented themselves, but they're also misrepresenting God, the real word of God through Jeremiah was very clear. If, if you could look at it this way, Jeremiah has tried to fly his drone above the city and try to get them to look at this. Guys, look what's going on here. Can you see the big picture? You are surrounded by the greatest power on earth. You're going to be destroyed. There is no hope for you. This is the word of the Lord. This is true. But he goes on to say in chapter 21 and chapter 38, he makes this statement. He says, but if you will surrender to the king outside the walls, you will get your life. You will be saved. Just surrender to the king outside the walls. Of course, we know that they are not going to do this. The prophets, the shepherds, have been telling them the opposite. Telling them lies, contradicting God's word. They've been prophesying peace and safety, rejecting the true words of God. And the people, they're just going along with it. It appears, really, what these prophets are saying is there is, there is no judgment for sin. Well, no, you'll experience peace. It's fine. You're safe even though you're sinning. Derek Kidner, in his commentary, said it this way. He said, along with easy views of sin, go rosy views of Of judgment. If you're not clear on your sin, on what's wrong, and this is what makes Jeremiah and the whole book so tough, he is tough on sin. He makes, he's very clear about it. And he says, Your only hope is repentance. Turn away from that stuff. Go outside. Surrender to the king outside the walls. But they're not listening. They're listening to these false prophets who prophesy, he says in verse 16, vain hope. It shall be well with you. He Jeremiah says they are speaking visions out of their own minds. And the people are listening. They've made themselves worthless. And he says in verse 17, they stubbornly follow their own hearts. So in other words, it's not just the prophet's fault. The people are choosing to follow this. These men, these prophets have rejected the Lord's counsel, he says in verse 18. Jeremiah asks them, who has stood in the counsel of the Lord? He says in verse 22, if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to the people and delivered them. But they didn't. Well, what was the Lord's counsel? I've already said it to you. The Lord's counsel was simple. Don't fight the king of Babylon. Go outside the gates, give yourself up, and you'll be saved. But they can't relate to that. They chose instead to trust in their own walls, the walls of their city. They chose to trust in the lies of their leaders. They've forgotten who they're dealing with. Verse 23 and 24, God says, you can't hide from me. There's something about this where you get the impression that the people think that they can just ignore God and he'll go away. It's it's this proclamation of the nearness of God is not meant to be comforting. In chapter in Psalm 135, 139, you remember that passage, the nearness of God is meant to be a comforting thing. Here it is not. The nearness of God is meant to say, you're in big trouble because I am near. The Lord's saying, I am no small local deity that, you can, that can only see limited way. This would be the sin of the prophets. They've rejected the sovereign God. Replaced him with a false God who is smaller and manageable. Someone they can, in their own minds, control. But to this God says he sees everything. In all ways, at all times, he is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-seeing, ever-present. And they should be afraid. And yet they're not. They're putting their hope. Jeremiah describes the real word of the Lord and what it's like. Verse 19, he says, the word of the Lord is like a storm, which is, the Lord is bringing a storm, a devastating storm to to destroy everything in its path. Verse 29, the the word of God is like a, a fire that consumes, fire can be positive, but here he's saying, no, this is a consuming fire. This is not a fire you want to trifle with. He's emphasizing this reality. In Jeremiah 5.14, God says, I am making my words in your mouth like a fire. The word is red hot. And it's bringing God's judgment with it. The word of God in verse 29 says it's a hammer. It shatters the rock in pieces. This is the word of the Lord. This is what the word does. It doesn't bring peace and safety when there's a, in the middle of a sinful lifestyle. It says this is going to shatter And it's going to shatter these prophets who have chosen to live their lives in such a heart-hardened way. They'll be the rocks that are destroyed. The prophets have made the word of the Lord a joke. They keep saying, using formulas, thus saith the Lord, declares the Lord. I didn't read it today, but they talk about the burden of the Lord. And they use these things as like a, a formula for saying what they want to say about God. Listen, we live in a culture, in a culture that, you know, it's a culture that's where sin is celebrated. Things that God does not condone is celebrated in our culture. It's portrayed as wholesome and normal. And if you don't agree with that, you can end up being castigated for it, much less communicating that to anybody else. The reality is, God says, if you'd have stood in my counsel, you would have known you would have brought my words they're not standing in god's counsel listen folks many church leaders today are not trying are trying to be at peace the, with the world and our culture not preaching god's word clearly not preaching the truth to people something we would expect from the worldly from non-christians recently i saw an interview where The Pope came out and seemed to indicate that he was all in favor of gay marriage. You look out and you see churches resisting, I I mean supporting abortion in our nation today. It's just such a sad indictment to us. The leaders and the prophets have said things God has not said. They're lying about what God who cannot lie has said. What's God's word really like? Well you go to Hebrews 4.12 and it says God's word is like a sword, double-edged sword. It is sharp. No book, no verse, no chapter is dull or losing its edge. It's razor sharp. It cuts to the very heart. It's finer than the sharpest surgeon's scalpel. The word of the Lord is meant to be like a mirror, James says. It's to help us see ourselves as we really are and not as what we would like to think of ourselves but real truth. God's word, Peter says, is like pure milk, like a mother's milk that enriches and nourishes and provides natural antibiotics to build up immune systems so babies can grow. To misrepresent the scriptures is to leave people with no nourishment or no protection against infection. God's word, Psalm 119 said, is a lamp to our path, a light to our path. Not to bring God's word truthfully and effectively is to leave people in the dark. The overwhelming challenge here is that God that cannot lie is being represented wrongly and erroneously. God said, leave the city, surrender to the king. But the prophets have told him, you're fine. You're safe here behind your little walls. Ultimately, God says, because the prophets have prophesied in this way, giving them lies and the people have chosen to listen they're not going to be able to hide. They knew. They had the scriptures. They knew. They heard Jeremiah. They knew. But finally, what is the provision that God has given us? What is this provision? The Word of God is meant to be given to us here in a powerful way. Suddenly, Jeremiah drops this bombshell right out of the blue. Right and in this verse, this chapter in this verse, almost right in the center of the book, he brings this in, that God will bring a new king called the branch. Listen to what he says in verse 5. Again, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name of whereby he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. What an amazing declaration of the gospel. Right in the middle of Jeremiah, the gospel comes shining through clearly. The word of the Lord through Jeremiah. He will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. No king or shepherd has been able to lead them like this since David. God brings this branch, which is a technical term for the Messiah to turn the hearts of the people to be their righteousness in a way they could never be for themselves. It's interesting play on words that Jeremiah is using here for the word, the name Zedekiah, their king means the Lord is my righteousness. <laughs> and they have rejected that. And God says, well that's okay because I'm bringing a branch. and That branch will bring salvation In the end, there's only one solution for the undermining of God's Word, and that's the branch. The branch comes as God's true Word. The Messiah comes as the Word into the world, the living Word, John 1.14. The Word become flesh, Jesus representing God's Word, truth, John 14.6. Now fast forward with me, if you would, as I fly a drone over Jerusalem about 600 years later, Jerusalem under another wicked king, Jerusalem under Roman rules. And as we fly over the city, we go just outside the city walls and we find another king being taken up on a hill called the Place of the Skull. The Prince of Peace. The Word of God incarnate being led up this hill. Executed in Roman fashion on a cross. Hebrews 13, 12 says, So Jesus also suffered outside the gates in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. He is taking the judgment we deserve so that He might become our righteousness. Now, listen to this. Jeremiah is prophesying throughout this book, judgment is coming first. He's saying, it's too late. I've called you back. You've resisted me. You won't come. Judgment's coming. And it's coming fast. And it's going to be devastating. He's saying, judgment's coming. But he goes on to say, salvation is coming after that. I will, he says in verse 4, restore my people. But judgment must come first. And that's what God is doing here. He is saying, my judgment is going to come on my very word, my very son. There is nothing that can avoid that. Nothing can bring salvation to people until judgment comes first. And I outside the city of Jerusalem, outside the walls on the hills of Golgotha, I am bringing judgment on the son of God so that you might be saved. That you might be delivered. This is the promise he's making here in chapter 23. Ultimately, Jeremiah is saying what God is going to do, he's going to come as the great shepherd of the sheep incarnate. See, he wasn't wasn't just a man. wasn't just the Son of God. He was the great shepherd of the sheep being killed. He was the great I Am. The good shepherd. The shepherd made flesh. Hebrews 1 says this. Early he spoke through the prophets. But now he is speaking through his son. The word of God made flesh is speaking now from the cross. He will give them, he goes on to say, blood-bought shepherds. Verse 4 He prophesies here. I'm going to raise up new shepherds. I'm going to bring shepherds after my own heart. John 21 we find Peter standing with Jesus after the resurrection. You remember what? What he said to Peter. Do you love me? Peter says sure I love you. Feed my sheep. Three times. You love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Lord why do you keep asking? Feed my sheep. He is raising up shepherds, under shepherds, to carry out what he has called them to do. Verse 4 in Jeremiah 23 says, He will set, set shepherds over them who will care for them. God wants to raise up these kind of leaders, fearless leaders, courageous shepherds, who will stand for the truth of his word without compromise. Openly, loudly, boldly declaring God's truth against all the sins of our culture, whether it be abortion or homosexuality or any of these things, we boldly take our stand against what God is against. Not against people. Against sin. That's what Jeremiah's after here. You've gone a direction that's bringing destruction. Night, just yesterday, I had a close, a good friend who I pastored with, for many years, back in Phoenix, who just this last week passed away and they had his memorial service yesterday. And my mind was taken back to those days in the 60s, late 60s and 70s, when God was doing an amazing work. A revival was coming across the land and people were being saved and young people were being drawn to Christ. And we were in the middle of this singing songs and trying to minister to people and suddenly there's a group of people around us and by default we become pastors not because we're significant but because we're there and we're willing and believe it or not the church back then wasn't real thrilled about what was going on kids were speaking in tongues they were praying for people to be healed and they were being healed and they were exercising the gifts and things were going on and the church just didn't know what to do with them and God was about raising up pastors to serve His people. Simple under-shepherds. Not bringing human wisdom. But listen, this is not boasting. Because 1 Corinthians 1.26, Paul says, Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were powerful. But God chose, and I'm going to just paraphrase it quickly. He chose the foolish. He chose the weak. He chose the low and the despised. So that no one could boast before God. That was us in the 60s and 70s. We were like, who is this? What do these guys think they're doing? Well, you know what? We didn't know what we were doing. We were the foolish. We were the despised in the world's eyes. And yet, God put something in our hearts. Recently, I listened to a message by C.J. Mahaney and C.J was talking about recently a high-profile evangelical leader described Sovereign Grace Churches as a backwater wilderness sect. He didn't mean this as a compliment. But you know what? It was an accurate description of our beginnings, and CJ made the comment that thanks to popular evangelicalism, we are back where we belong. Back. As humble shepherds, humble people, we're not significant in the eyes of the world, or even in the broader eyes of the church. We're called as the weak, the foolish, the low, the despised, to demonstrate the grace of the gospel. And because of this, no one of us can boast except in the grace of God. Listen, we have made plenty of mistakes over the years. 2020, We've made plenty of mistakes this year. I'm prophesying to you, <laughs> 2021, we will make our fair share of mistakes, folks. There's that there, We are humans. We live under the doctrine of sin, just as we all do. We're challenged. We're trying to follow the Holy Spirit. But hey, we're all flawed in many different ways. But as God's people, we are called, as pastors, shepherds, we're called to bring God's word, to be held accountable to it. Very simply, this is what we've been called to do, to say only what God has said in his word. And listen, that's what you should want. And if you are not hearing that here, as you look at your Bible and you say, I'm not hearing that here, then let me encourage you, go find a different church. Because this is what we're going to be all about. To the best of our ability, preaching and teaching and expositing God's word as clearly as we know how. Not our own words. We want to stand by the grace of God in our limited ability in humility under his word, in his counsel. Under his care, the flock is safe. And so we get back to where we began. Shepherds and sheep. Pastors and people. Called and committed to intending for and caring for God's flock. Speaking only what God has spoken. Willing to stand in the counsel of God's word. Under the great shepherd. Under shepherds and sheep. Under the great shepherd. People who are healthy. Reproducing. Serving. Serving. Caring for each other. Reaching the community and the workplace with the gospel. Using your gifts and resources to be a blessing to others. Listen, come expecting to be fed doctrinally with sound teaching. Come committed to applying God's worth to your life personally. Make your community group a safe place where you can share and others can confess sins and weakness and pray for each other and hold each other accountable to God's word. Come seeking to believe a clear and robust gospel that you can in turn share with other people, knowing this has within it the power to change their life. The worship team could come. In conclusion, how do we do this? We need to ultimately go back to what Jeremiah counseled them. The solution for both believer and unbeliever. And if you're sitting here today and I don't know you and you're not, you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ or you're listening online and you've not got that in your heart yet, listen to what I'm saying. The solution is to quit trusting in the walls you have put your hope in. Believer, quit trusting in the walls that you put your hope to protect you. Go outside the city and surrender to the king who is waiting out there to receive you. The Lord Jesus himself who died outside that city so that you might have life. Jesus said it this way. Listen, (laughs) Jesus wasn't any easier on us than Jeremiah was. You remember what he said. Take up your... Take up your... Take up your cross and follow me. See, as we're looking in that drone's eye view of what's going on on the hill of Calvary, we're saying, "Take up your cross, follow Jesus." Everyone's cross is different, but everyone has one. Some crosses, if I could say, are seem to be much more challenging, much more complicated to take up, to follow Jesus. But sin is sin. It's always hard to give up sin, to give up the things we put our hope and our trust in. Philippians, Paul said in chapter 2, verse 13, he said, for it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, this is a definition of grace. God gives you both the desire and and the power to do what he calls you to do. You think it's hard following Jesus? He doesn't leave you there. He says, I give you the desire to do it and I give you the power to do it. What are the walls that you're hiding behind? Sinful pleasures, philosophies, popular culture, political viewpoint, self-determinism, being in control, personal peace and affluence. Fame, power, feminism, trying to find your identity only in yourself, folks. Walls that will crumble. Walls that will crumble. Get outside your walls. Come to Christ. Take up your cross and follow him. Put aside pride, self-trust. Put away with anything that you hope will save you. Except for Christ. Take up your cross. Surrender to King Jesus, the shepherd of your soul. Let's stand together. Folks, during times like this, this can come down. Jeremiah brings it in a very strong, powerful way. Jesus brought it in a very strong, powerful way. But here's the result, the reality. Because of this, we have a good shepherd. We have a shepherd who loves and cares for us. When it feels like you're surrounded by the enemy and everything is closing in around you, you can either put your trust in yourself or you can leave your walls and trust the good shepherd. He never fails. He will lead you through this time. As Jeremiah says, he will bring you to a place of safety and security. But it's ultimately the good shepherd at work. Lord, we trust you. We trust you to give us grace. Not to put our hope in false words. Not to put our hope in things will be fine. Lord, we do not know what the future holds, but we do know that you are our good shepherd. And we willingly desire to come to you, surrender to you, take up our cross, follow you. Lord, it sounds difficult, but we find in scripture it's full of joy and rejoicing and grace. And we thank you. Help us to do this today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.